This morning I invite you to turn to James chapter 1. We're just going to begin there, move into another passage, and lay the foundation for the remainder of our series. But before I do, I wanted to bridge 2015 to 2016 this morning in a couple of ways. And these are very, very encouraging. And so we just wanted to put in front of you what God has been doing here at Taylor's. As you remember, at the end of last year, we walked through a series from uh, the book of Acts as we were looking at the church at Antioch. And the fruit of that, at the end of that series, has been absolutely encouraging to see. Whether it's families and individuals who have joined our church in the month of December whether it's individuals and people who have said we want to be engaged in Bible study and in group life in a different way, whether it's those who have said we want to adopt and foster in an innovative ministry, God has spoken to our heart in that way, whether we uh, saw where people said we are, want to go, we want to go on a mission trip this year, and we want to see the gospel spread to the ends of the earth. It has been encouraging to see the fruit of that series. And as we come to 2016, I want to keep that in front of you, and in particular, in a couple of ways, in our missions efforts this year. For instance, today is our interest meeting for our mission trips, and you can see on the back of your bulletin, the time today at 4.30, if you're interested in any of our mission trips, and then again Wednesday evening at 7.30. And you come if you are interested in going on one of our trips. And here is my heart and here is my vision for this year when it comes to missions that we fill every single slot available on our mission trips, which would be 262 individuals. And so our prayer is that every space is filled, not simply to fill a space, but to get the gospel out as far as it can go. And so you come this afternoon, you come this evening again today at 4.30, Wednesday evening at 7.30 to receive information about any of the trips that are listed there in your bulletin. You can go to our website as well. And then this week, Jeremy, our missions minister, was in communication with Jason Hodges. Jason and Chris Causey lead our church there in Boston that we help plant along with other churches, and they have asked us for our help. Now, we have already, uh, in March, designated a time for our church to go on a mission trip and to minister with them. It's March 23 through March 27. It is Easter weekend. And here is the help that they need, and here is why Jason called. We have six people signed up for a team of 15. But there are no other churches that are scheduled to come and help that team uh, in March. And so we need to fill that team. And so I am asking you to pray about that today. Would God send you to Boston over Easter? Now, I know that's a big time for family. I know that is a big time to be with uh, your friends or to be with people here. But at the same time, maybe the Holy Spirit is sending you to Boston. And this is a pivotal time in the life of this church in that they are making incredible inroads in their community. And this weekend is pivotal to seeing lost people, those who do not know Christ, hear more about the church. So we need your help. Jason and Chris need your help. We're extending the deadline for that. We normally don't do that. But when the call from the field is given, we want to do everything we can 
uh, to get our people there. So you pick up an application over at the missions desk and you bring it back after praying this afternoon about that or waiting till tomorrow and bring it back to us tomorrow. And maybe the Lord will stir in your heart. We need nine more people and I am praying towards a full team of 15 to go to Boston. Let me mention one other fruit of our Antioch series and fruit of 2015 and commend you, church. We came to you and we said, we need your help in the area of giving at the end of this year. And we issued a challenge to you that you would give sacrificially and generously in two areas. One, for our reach trips, for our mission trips, so that every single individual who decides to go on a mission trip can receive half off of the cost to go. It's a big, big help to many, many people. And you have responded incredibly well to that. In fact, money continues to be given to that. And with the money that you have given and with the money that we have stewarded well over the past couple of years in the area of missions, we have reached that goal of $125,000 to send everybody who wants to go on a trip at the cost of 50% off. And so I just wanted, again, to thank you for that as we talk about missions as possible through your giving. But then... In the month of December, we had an absolutely remarkable month. And on the screen, I think we have it available. I just wanted to see this figure, $746,000 in one month. Folks, that is incredible. That is nothing short of God's grace coming to us through you. And it's because we asked for your help and it's because you responded sacrificially, and so the gospel can move forward. As we wrap up this year, we can continue to move forward in 2016 in the assurance that God's grace has visited us in the month of December, and it's because of your sacrifice. And so I wanted to do this publicly. I wanted to thank you. Thank you for giving. Thank you for your sacrifice. But I also wanted to praise the Lord. Because it is by his grace that anything that is good happens to us. It is by his gracious hand. So thank you for that. And so I wanted to make a bridge to 2016 and set the stage for you, not only when it comes to missions and giving, and we'll continue to update you as we close the books on 2015, but also by way of our worship in the word. We're going to begin a series in the book of James. Now, if you've studied the book of James or if you've read the book of James before, you know this. It is an incredibly gut-level practical book. It is a book that I've longed to preach because it is so very practical, but it is also challenging because it will speak to every single one of our hearts when it comes to various issues about uh, growing in Christ and walking with Christ. And we've given a, a, a tagline to our series, the study of the book of James, a guide for authentic living. And what James is going to point us to is to the word of God. James was the, the brother of Jesus. Can you imagine being the brother of the Son of God? The amazing thing about James being the brother of Jesus, Jesus, it says in the gospel, had four brothers and at least two sisters. So he comes from a pretty large family. But his family did not believe in him, at least not until later on in his ministry. In fact, Mark chapter 3 says that his family, when they saw the commotion around Jesus when he started his ministry, his family, his brothers and his sisters thought that he was mad. He, they just thought that there's no way this guy can pull off what he says he wants to do. 
So James, the brother of Jesus, sometime throughout his life, sometime throughout Jesus' ministry, he comes to become a, an authentic follower of his brother. And he's totally transformed. And so in James chapter 1, we'll put it on the screen for you. James chapter 1, you might have it there in front of you. Listen to what he says. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. And so over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to watch and we're going to follow as the brother of Jesus, who is transformed by the person of Christ, gives us a pattern for authentic living. Authentic living being a pattern of living that, according to God's design, is faithful and true. A pattern of living that when we put up the Word of God over the course of the next few weeks. For instance, in the area of suffering and trials, next week, if you're suffering, if you're struggling, next week, James is going to teach us and the Word of God is going to show us that there's a process and there's a purpose to the suffering that you're going through. And he's going to share with us about our lives, the consistency of our lives. We say we have faith. We say we are religious. But yet what we do, does, does it match up? Not according to what we think is moral and religious, but according to what the Word of God says, our consistency in our lives. When it comes to our relationships, conflict, and fighting among one another, whether in the home or whether in the church, Wherever it might be, James is going to hold up the word of God and said, this is God's pattern for living faithfully and authentically. When it comes to speaking about one another, there perhaps isn't a greater chapter that goes in depth into how we use our mouth, how we use our tongue. James says some of you, talking to the, to the house churches that he's writing to, some of you with the same mouth and the same tongue bless the Lord Jesus Christ, but on the other hand, you curse people. So we're just going to hold up the word of God and say, what is God's pattern and design for authentic living when it comes to how we speak to one another? When it comes to what we pursue with our lives, our, 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 our worldliness and con consumer mentality, James is going to hold up, hold up the pattern and say, here is what Christ would have of you. All throughout this book, we're going to see what it means, I pray, to live authentic. Jesus lives. And I need that. You need that. We as a church, we need that. We need to take that next step in our walk with Christ, and James is going to help us do that. But before we get to James next week, before we begin and dive into suffering and struggle and testing, before we do that, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to set the stage, not only for the book of James, but for the rest of this year. And I want to share with you a foundation for authentic living. What can we glean and what can we understand from God's word and God's heart when it comes to having a heart that is ready, not simply just to do what the book of James says, but to be who Christ wants us to be. 
so that we can do what God has asked us to do. What does it mean to have a heart for authentic living? Let me invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 1 this morning, and I want to read for you just a couple of verses. Colossians chapter 1. If you don't have a copy of the Word of God, you might not have brought one with you. There's one in the pew rack right in front of you. We'll also have it on the screen so that you can read that. Colossians chapter 1 this morning, and I, I want to, to give you a prayer, a prayer from not James, but from Paul. A prayer from the Apostle Paul to this church that I think encapsulates my heart and my prayer for you and for us collectively, and that is that we live lives that are worthy of Christ. Listen to Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, and then we'll skip over to verses 9 through 10 this morning. And I want you to, to listen, and I want you to, I want you to Find in your heart and find in this text what authentic living really, really is. And then we're going to lay out a heart for that over the course of the next few moments together. Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Listen to what the Word of God says this morning. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus... And of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Faith, hope, and love. We see that in our church. Paul sees that in this church. But then he says this. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So these things that we want to see practiced, they're contained in the word of truth, in the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So Paul says, listen, I see in you, tailors, I see in you faith, hope, and love. But then Paul says, we don't want to stop there. We want to see this gospel the good news and the grace of God that has come to us through Christ, we want to see that growing and continuing to bear fruit. And he says now it's growing and bearing fruit in the world. It's increasing beyond you. Taylors, it is amazing to see what God is doing around the world. Here's my prayer and here's my heart for this year. Is that when the gospel goes out and those 262 slots Lord willing, are filled, that we see more people come to faith in Christ on the mission field beyond us than ever before. That when it comes to that unreached people group that you and I have adopted together, there over in the Middle East, where among this people there is not one known believer in Jesus. Look how many believers are here this morning. But Larry, there's not one that we know of, not one known believer there. My prayer is 2016 is the year where the gospel breaks through in that people group. Someone comes to faith in Christ and a movement of the gospel takes place in a, in a region and in a people where they don't know Christ at all. Wouldn't that be amazing? The gospel is bearing fruit and growing though. And I want to encourage you on that. And I, I want to urge you to pray with me towards that end. But then... He says it's also growing in you. This is just not something that's happening over there, Paul says. The gospel is 
is growing in you. And just as it's bearing fruit over there, it needs to be bearing fruit in you. So how, how does that happen, Paul? Verse 9, and so he says, look at verse 9. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, adding that, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, Bearing fruit, there it is again. Bearing fruit, the gospel in you and around the world, here it is in verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is what authentic living is. It's simply living in accordance with the design that God has given for us in receiving his grace and then bearing fruit in our life and in the lives of those around us. That's what authentic living is, bearing fruit. Bearing fruit in our character, bearing fruit outside of us, bearing fruit around us, bearing fruit around the world. This is why James writes this letter to these house churches spread all throughout the region beyond Jerusalem. He wants to see them bear fruit. He wants to see the gospel have incredible impact. But here are the The barriers, here are the things that can distort authentic living, okay? I I just want to lay out for you, this is why perhaps I and you and throughout our lives, throughout the seasons of our lives, this is perhaps why we don't bear fruit. This is why perhaps we don't live authentically faithful lives to the pattern that God has designed. Number one, apathy. Apathy, we, we see this throughout the church, there's, a, there's an apathy. There's a desire not to engage with, with the people of God. There's a desire not to encounter God in worship. Over the course of the last few years, people have continued to write. People have continued to examine and study the fact that people are becoming more and more apathetic towards encountering God in worship and engaging with one another in the body of Christ. It's just not like it used to be. There's an apathy towards that. And when that happens... When that happens, we become distant from God, distant from him. Therefore, we cannot live authentic lives. Secondly, we have a consumer mindset. Now, what do I mean by that? James is going to address that. But we expend energy on the things that we desire, the things that we pursue, or we come to church with a consumer mindset which says, the church is here to meet my every need. And so suddenly, we become distracted either by things outside the church or by our own hearts inside the church. And instead of the pattern of authentic living laid out in the scripture, we become distracted from that. We're distant, we're distracted. Here's the third thing we're broken. I want to talk about brokenness in just a second. But. Our broken lives, whether in our relationships or in our families, in our children, in our grandchildren, there is not one single family that has not been touched by hurt and by pain and by shame and by brokenness. Every family, including mine, has it. But here's what happens we become ashamed. We don't want to do, we, we, don't, we don't want that to, to surface. And, 
and we become ashamed and we begin to withdraw from encountering God in worship, from engaging with one another in the body, and suddenly we find ourselves distant, and suddenly we find ourselves moving further and further away, not just from the church, but from Christ. Here's the final thing. We become, we become very religious and very moral. For those of you, and if you're like me, who grew up in the church, suddenly the standard for authentic living, the pattern for daily Christian life is not what Christ and his grace and his spirit will do in me, but it becomes how religious and how moral I am. And I notice the more religious and the more moral I get, the more critical and judgmental I get. And that's far from the heart of Christ in Philippians chapter 2, which we just read on a screen, far from the humility that Christ exemplified in giving his life for us as a pattern, as a model for living. Apathy, consumerism, brokenness, religion, these things are barriers and hindrances to living authentic living, to living as Christ would have us live. So what do we do? Well, before we jet off and do something, let me, let me give you what I think is a pattern, a foundation for authentic living. And here's where it begins. You ready? Thought number one this morning. Authentic living grows in a culture of humility. This is where it begins. A heart for authentic living grows in a culture of humility. James is going to come to the church, and we're going to see it, James chapter 4. And he says this, I'm going to go back to the Old Testament, I'm going to pick up a theme in the Old Testament which says this, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. James chapter 4, verse 6. And then he says, verse 10, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Therefore, humble yourself so that he might exalt you. So James says, listen, here's the pattern. This is how you will live authentically is by following what has been a theme all the way through the scriptures. And, this is, and, and, and the theme is this, that God opposes those who are proud, but he longs to lift up those who are humble. That his gospel comes to a people who are not proud and arrogant, but his gospel comes and his grace and strength comes to those who are broken and vulnerable in need of his grace. This is the theme all throughout scripture. This is, the, this is the, in the person of Christ. He has humbled himself and he has become so incredibly vulnerable in giving up everything that was his for the sake of going to a cross for your sin and my sin. This is the gospel. And he calls you in your sin and in your brokenness to come to him this morning. If you've never trusted him, perhaps some of you haven't. This is the message of the gospel, and, and, and it is a humble word to you, but it's a powerful word. And in the, in the pattern of Scripture and in the person of Jesus, we see how we are to live our lives. Now, here's what we do, all right? Here's how we as humans operate. We, we don't operate in humility most of the time. We operate in hiddenness. Here's what I mean by that. 
we as human beings are so concerned about the outside. We're so concerned about appearances. We're so concerned about the externals. We're so concerned about the expectations that people have of you and I have, that people have of, of me. We're so concerned about what our family should look like. We're so concerned about what our children, how they should, how they should look and how they should function. We are so concerned about preserving and maintaining what on the outside looks put together, strong, and independent. Because we think that's how we're to operate. But the scripture it, it says no, that this is not the pattern for authentic living. The pattern for authentic living begins in a culture of brokenness and vulnerability before God. Because this is where the grace of God comes flooding in. What are we to be broken over? I, I, I want to give you just some things that you can write down, you can take them home, and I, I quickly want to give you um, just a couple more thoughts, and I know our time is running short, but I, these are so important, and they were helpful to me this week, and I hope they'll be helpful to you. What are we to be broken over biblically? Number one, or letter A, we're to be broken over our pride. Pride is what caused Satan, what, what caused Lucifer to, to be cast out of heaven. Pride is what caused Adam and Eve to sin in the garden. Pride is simply where we insert ourselves above the word and above the authority of God. And so it says in Psalm 18, verse 27, For you save a humble people, but the haughty or the proud eyes you bring down. As I said earlier, God opposes the proud but gives great grace to the humble. We need to be recognizing is there an awareness in us that we, by our very sinful human natures, are a prideful people. Here's the second thing. We need to be broken over our sin. Psalm 51, verse 17. Read the whole chapter. It's an amazing chapter where David confesses his sin and says to, to God, I have greatly sinned against you. And, and then God responds to him, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. When was the last time you and I were broken? We were open to God and open to others that we have wronged over our sin. You want to talk about a powerful work and a movement of God among peoples when sin is confessed to one another. Broken over our sin. Third thing, broken over our condition. Psalm 34, verses 18 through 19. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Broken over our pride, broken over our sin, broken over our condition. Ladies and gentlemen, let me just say this. This, mor this morning and throughout this past week, I've become well aware of the circumstances in the lives of some of you and the lives of the members of our church who will worship here and will worship in the services to come, where the condition that these people are in needs a supernatural 
powerful work of Almighty God, and there is no other deliverance and there is no other hope than that. Now, you talk about a place of vulnerability. But when is the last time in your condition, and maybe you've been hurt, in that last psalm there, it talks about the condition of the psalmist who feels that he has been crushed. He has been destroyed. And he comes to God and God says, if you'll just come to me, broken, I will deliver you. This is where some of you are this morning. And here is my heart and my prayer for you. That the brokenness over our pride and over our sin and over the condition that we're in is not something that is tucked away and that is hidden, but instead is opened up and is communicated with those that we love and is communicated with others in the body of Christ for the sake of the grace of God working in you. Let me share this with you. Um, Just to help you, okay? Not to preach at you, but to walk with you. I struggle with this. You know, I have the title of pastor. (laughs) I I have the title of pastor of a wonderful, incredibly, incredibly blessed church. But frankly, over the past five years as your pastor, I struggle. I struggle with the expectations I put on myself. I struggle with the expectations you put on me. I struggle with the expectations of of those outside that say, how's he doing? I struggle with knowing how to lead. I struggle with knowing how to shepherd. And here's what happens. When I get caught in my own heart, with expectations on the outside. When I struggle with expectations that, as I said, that I put on myself or expectations that other, others put on me, he, here's what happens. I live and I pastor and I lead in conformity and in accordance with those things on the outside. Does that make sense? And instead of, instead of leading and loving out of brokenness of my sin and of my condition and of my pride, I lead from my own strength, and that's prideful. Or I become so so discouraged. You can become either so inflated with pride, or you can become so down and discouraged. Either way, it's prideful, and it's wrong. I struggle with this regularly. And here's the calling of God upon me for this year. As God, over the past six months, has been doing an amazing work in my life. And he has put me before him. And he has looked at me, and he has said, this church is not about you. This church is not about your leadership ability. This church is not about your resume. This church is about me and my grace and my gospel flowing through a servant that is broken. 
before me. What are you going to do? Now, you know what that does? You know what that does? It liberates you. (laughs) It frees you. Instead of, instead of trying to meet expectations, instead of, and put yourself, whatever title you give to yourself, this is who I am, all right? Whatever title you give to yourself, the energy expended in trying to manage those expectations and keep up those expectations and exceed those expectations, it is literally exhausting. But there's incredible freedom when you simply say, I will now operate as a broken, vulnerable person in need of the grace of God to come in. And when God sees brokenness and vulnerability, the grace of God comes flooding in. And you are never ever stronger and more free and liberated to live authentic living than when the grace of God comes in in the moment of your weakness. That's how I want to lead you. That's how I want to pastor you. That's the type of culture that God will use to grow his gospel here. And it happens when we say, Father, here we are. We surrender to you. Maybe this morning, the call for some of you is a call to brokenness. It's hard for some of you in your generation. Look, my dad turns 80 this year. I love my dad dearly, but it's hard for my dad to communicate brokenness to me. I know it's hard, but an incredible gift of God to those that love you and to your church is to see a people authentically moved by either their condition or their pride or their sin, and they say, for the sake of my children and for the sake of my grandchildren and for the sake of this body, I want to live authentically. Two quick things, and then we'll wrap up this morning. How does this heart of authentic living develop then? If it grows in a culture of humility, then how is it developed? We don't have time to spend long on this, but a heart for authentic living is developed among people in biblical community. So if there is a culture of humility that needs to be be raised up, that culture of humility then is developed further in communities, in relationships with one another. I'll preach this as long as I have breath and the Holy Spirit gives me the ability to preach. And that is the Jesus way. That the way to grow to become like Jesus is in conformity to the word of God in connection with other people. Because this is what Jesus did to the three and to the twelve. And this is how the world was changed. And so are you in biblical community with other people? Are you, and here's the criteria, okay? What does biblical community look like? It is a call to Christ and his word. Biblical community is not just social. It's just not fellowship. Those are good things. But authentic living cannot be developed apart from a connection to Christ and his word with other people. There must be, secondly, a call for honest application and accountability of that word. It does no good for us simply to store up religious information if religious information or the word of God is not applied. It does us no good. 
And this is what biblical communities do. They take the word and they say, how do we live this out? I'm going to hold you accountable because I love you, brother. What does this look like in your life? Because I love you in your marriage. I love you in your children. I love you and you're off track. So let me love you with the word of God and with one another. Isn't that what we want? Oh, we long for that. We should long for that. Thirdly, a call for leaders to develop and invest in other people. A call for leaders, just as Jesus called people to him and then said, I'm going to use you to invest in others. We need leaders. This is a call for some of you to step up and to say, I'll develop, I'll invest, I'll lead other people. We want to encourage health here in the body. We want to encourage relationships here in the body. We want to encourage biblical community here in the body. Let, let me just share with you just a couple of ways that we're going to try and do that. On the screen, there should be a slide there about our marriage conference coming up. My heart is burdened for marriages here at Taylor's. It's unbelievable over the last few weeks how we have just seen really an assault upon families and so our team has planned a marriage conference at the end of February where we are inviting every single married couple to come. And we're inviting you to come and be a part of an amazing weekend, Friday night and Saturday, where your marriage can be strengthened. And it doesn't matter if you've been married a long time or maybe just you're newly married. We talked to, uh, uh, Cherie talked to uh, Jennifer Barrett and Jennifer Johnson, friend, good friends of ours, are coming the end of February. Used to serve with Barrett. Sheree talked with Jennifer this week over the phone just to catch up and just to talk about the conference. And Jennifer said, hey, the joy has been seeing people who have been married a long, long time come to the conference and say, you know what? We need to hear. We need to know what we need to do in our marriage. She mentioned a couple that's been come, that had been married for 42 years, and they, they've been coming to these Lifeway conferences that Barrett and Jennifer have been a part of and saying, you know what? We can still learn, we can still grow, and here's the beautiful thing. There's an outflow of those marriages of 42 years down below and a need for the older to train and to mentor the younger. You come. Second thing I want to mention is I started this past Wednesday night a Bible study on relationships, and then I'm going to continue that throughout the spring with a study in conflict, everyday conflict. And my heart is for us to develop these communities, marriages that have Christ at the center, accountability and honesty at the heart, and then having great influence throughout the body. Here's the third thing this morning, and I'll, I'll end with this. A heart for authentic living seeks to impact those behind and beyond us. A heart for authentic living seeks to impact. This is, what, this is how we'll know that we're living authentically, is that our attention begins to shift from us to those who are behind us and beyond us. Let me speak more, more clearly. We'll know we're living authentic lives when suddenly the passion and the drive of our hearts becomes reaching the generations behind us and reaching lost people beyond us. I'll say this. Here probably... Probably is my, is, my, is my number one conviction over the last five years. And it is this, that we, that I have not led you well. 
and getting the gospel to those right here around us more. And I'm going to commit to you to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, how do we and how does our team and how do you, how do we stop becoming so consumed by ourselves and becoming so insulated and I can get that way as well but how do we become channels of the gospel and grace to those who don't know Christ because what good is discipleship if all we do is become better Christians what good is discipleship if we just pat ourselves on the back and say oh we know it all we cut in half the great commission of both teaching all that Jesus commanded and reaching all that Jesus loves if we do not see our discipleship as an outflow of the gospel to those behind and beyond us. So here's my heart for you this year. Here's my heart for me this year. A culture of humility. Communities of connection and channels of grace, channels of reaching, channels of loving beyond just me to those that desperately need Christ. Will you pray with me right now? Father, we are going to sing a song of commitment. But Lord, before we even stand up and sing one note, we pray your Holy Spirit powerfully speaks to hearts right now. Lord, Call us to brokenness and to grace. Call us to vulnerability and openness with those around us. Call us out of the hiding and into humility and let us watch you as we abandon our lives to you. May we watch you lift us up not for our glory, but for yours. Give us a passion, Father, for people, people here at our church that desperately need to to be engaged with one another and with the body of Christ in a new, fresh way. Give us courage to step out of what we have always done and step into what the Holy Spirit is calling us to. And Father, give us an amazing awareness of lostness beyond us and of the generations to come behind us. And Father, may this church, because of your incredible power, the Holy Spirit's power, enlighten us and show us what to do, but then empower us so that we can carry out in 2016 what is a simple but amazing vision from heaven, which is to live humbly, to love others, and to reach the lost. So show us how. But may it begin right now. May it begin right now.
change us, Father. Lord, call sinners to yourself. Call them, Lord. Speak to them, Father. There are some here who do not know Jesus. Speak to them, Lord. Draw them to you. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.